0: Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mangum Reads. As per usual, I'm Spencer and joined by joined by Sarah and BJ. How you all doing?
1: Good, Spencer. How are you?
0: I'm well, doing all right. How about you, BJ? I'm um, doing quite well. Are you up to date on yeah. your taxes? Uh, no. That's that's a pro- that's a problem for next year, Spencer. But it was fun reading a story from the perspective of one here. <laughs> This week we are doing You'll Always Have the Burden With You by Ken Liu, and I was trying to remember, have we actually read any Ken Liu on this program, or did did I just read Paper Menagerie despite your advising not to? I 100% did not advise you not to do so. I just
2: advised you to do so in a specific time and place, which you thoroughly ignored. Um, no we have not done other Ken Lu and I do feel like we should do some other Ken Lu because I'm still not sure I'm willing to read Me- Paper Menagerie and discuss it on this pod um, but so I chose this story as one of the stories that was uh, Ken Lu actually really likes and I read it it's fine it, we, we will discuss it and, and go through and, and I well, we'll see what everybody else thought about it, but I, I have trouble putting together that this is the same author that wrote P- Paper Menagerie.
0: Mm-hmm. It has a different focus, it appears, for this one. But by way of background, uh, Ken Liu's kind of like the golden god of science fiction over the last few years. He's won the Hugo three times, the Locust twice, the Nebula once. He's kind of pioneered the work of what's now called Silk Punk as a genre. So he's very well regarded, and again, BJ intentionally tries to find stories to destroy me with, and Paper Menagerie was the most recent achievement of his, particularly in the fact that I read it at work. Don't do that. This story is different in terms of the themes that I got out of paper, uh, paper Menagerie, and it really does encourage me to read more work from him, because this is quite a range of material and focus that I wasn't expecting, in terms of that story going to this one.
2: Yeah. Um, and I I very nearly recommended uh, The Three Body Problem, which I believe is by him, um, but it's part of a series and we're going to try and avoid doing the first book in the series, <laughs> um, even though the temptation to read the rest of N.K. Jameson for uh, Broken Earth Trilogy for the pod is, is fairly high. I think we'll, we'll get all there. Re-
0: we, we all read it anyway. It's <laughs> question <laughs> when, 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 when we talk about it on air. Yeah, there, there was
2: honestly no choice. After you read the first one, you really do <laughs> just have to do the, the next two. And um, there was actually yeah. an article that came out recently. I can't remember uh, which outlet that was basically saying that the Broken Earth trilogy is the best uh, fantasy of the decade. And hmm. I think I might either agree or, or come very close to Um But anyway, so we'll probably have to come back to Ken Liu because I was a little underwhelmed by the story, but I thought it was fairly entertaining.
1: And like you said, I think it's, it's not necessarily, um, representative of the work, at least that, that I know. Um, although we have been on a little bit of a kick lately of reading short stories that are maybe a little bit out of the voice or normal workings of some of our favorite authors, um, (laughs) see a few episodes that we've had about in K Jemisin stories.
2: Yeah, Um, and 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 again, like I think that it's very interesting that this is one of his favorite stories, Mm -hmm. um, and one that he wanted to promote. Um, So, uh, without too much more ado, unless Spencer, you have other things within the task code that you want to talk about. No, I think we're set. Let's uh, get into the meat of the story. Um, And again, I feel like we're we're continually continuously beset by short stories that have very little plot.
0: Well, I I actually realized that we normally, we now create a tradition of starting with two of Sarah's segments. Sarah, do you have a drink and do you have a few one-star reviews for us to discuss this week?
1: I have a drink and I have one very short one-star review. Um, Interesting. Yes. So I will start with my drink and I am back from my creme de menthe disaster from our (laughs) last recording.
0: Can you taste anything else other than mint now?
1: It was, it was legit 12 hours. Um, before I really knew what was going on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Breakfast was weird. It was like the worst post-toothpaste kind of situation to be in for a prolonged period of time. Um, But I am back. I have a better, in fact, delightful drink tonight that is called a Stone Wall, which I thought was um, suitably archaeological. So... It's also suitably fall-ish, and I took the liberties of making a couple of changes to the actual recipe, (laughs) Uh, but it is essentially a very gingery drink. So it has um, some fresh ginger muddled with a little bit of simple syrup. It is supposed to be rum, uh, but we know my relationship with rum, so I have substituted vodka and uh, apple cider, which, so the, the ginger simple syrup vodka and apple cider are shaken and poured and then topped with chilled ginger beer and garnished with a lime wedge and it is absolutely lovely that does
2: sound quite good
0: you, yes you've got, you, you've gotten increasingly skillful with the visuals of these particular concoctions that you make too and i must say this is one of the most elegant of the various cocktails you've made at least in the picture that you sent us
1: Uh, there was a lot of glass deliberation going on in this process (laughs) (laughs) many dishes were dirtied uh, and discarded until I settled on exactly the right one which I've got to be clear I don't know what these tall wide ish glasses are actually for they're sort of champagne glassy they're sort of beer steiny I don't know what to do with that so I put a stone wall in them um, but right. this is a drink that will be making an appearance at New Year's, I think.
0: Yeah. I'm increasingly glad that you've gone on a run of finding really good drinks, because if this plan had originally been set in motion that we would try the various cocktails that you made like five weeks ago, and you had like six weeks of just painful shit, this would be a much less appealing scenario <laughs> if you paid it for us now. For you. <laughs> Well, I know you would have had fun, BJ. You'd delight when I, you know, suffer through various uh, alcoholic concoctions, but I'd like to be able to remember the holiday too.
1: Well, uniqueness
0: is also of interest. Anyway, so this sounds delightful,
2: Uh, but I'm thoroughly curious as to your one-star review.
1: Yeah, so we are on a little bit of a kick as well of doing short stories, which make actually finding specific reviews to individual short stories very difficult. so I didn't try this week, and am supplementing with my own one-star review, which uh, goes something along the lines of, this reads like Kin Lu took Anthropology 101 and wrote a story. Mm-hmm.
0: Th- this is your own one-star review?
1: This is my one-star review.
0: Oh, this is a new segment we've got here.
2: <laughs> I feel like this could be a fun segment going forward. What is our one-star review of any given what would it be? <laughs> short story? I feel like, and I, I, would... I
1: suppose that I did. Sorry to cut you off, BJ. But I suppose that I did sort of start. We started the segment um, finding outrageous one-star reviews for books that we we otherwise really liked, mm-hmm. um, and we're looking for outrageous things that dumb people on the internet said. Well, now I'm going the opposite direction um, and pointing out dumb things that I'm saying about books that I don't like.
2: <laughs> I feel like one star reviews of books that we do like would also be kind of entertaining as well.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: but, oh, yeah. But I feel like, you know, a lackluster foray into relationship issues backgrounded with the most meager of uh, Mars archaeology is, is met with a very weird
0: uh, professor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um not oh, enamored Bert. with the story. <laughs>
0: You know, you know, I'm going to offer more of like a one star review along the lines you're making fun of and just say not enough pictures did not like <laughs> um,
1: I, I we we might also go the sort of like not enough sex did not like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
0: well, can't I, I, we talk about the actual story.
2: <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we could do do something similar to our pottering around the two minute summary of, of the plot. Um, but, but Spencer, I feel like you will take, take umbrage, um, uh, no, 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 and we, not the Dolores the, kind. So
0: I, I I feel like I should know who that is. Do I know who that is Yes, eventually no, it's fine. Don't. Um, for those that don't know, we also do a Harry Potter podcast and every now and then references from that bleed into everything else we do.
2: <laughs> so basically this couple is, uh, discussing their future plans where when the uh, guy gets an offer to do sort of semi postgraduate studies going to Mars and doing archaeology with a famous professor Laura it's not it,
0: it and does your version say Mars Look, I, or are you just inter- oh
2: it is Laura I don't know
1: it is Laura yeah. sure
2: okay okay I wasn't really <laughs> that that part wasn't
0: interesting. Well, I mean, mean, the the book opens uh, probably a few hundred years in the future because space travel has apparently been achieved and there are many planets that have been explored and life discovered. But seemingly this planet Lura is the only place of where an intelligent developed civilization has been uncovered, even if it apparently went extinct a million years in the past.
2: And apparently they built the Mayan pyramids. It's a Uh, stand-in for Mars. It's fine.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of religious beliefs that have gone into finding this other culture and also their various philosophical wanderings that have been uncovered and translated in various shapes and forms. But as I said, our couple's opening this book going through that kind of relationship talk that a lot of couples go through about whether long distance will work or whether I will move with you for the sake of your career. Uh, I think our main characters are named Freddie and Jane. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're meant to be, I think, as stereotypical as possible with their names. Freddie is a archeologist, which sounds like it would be a fascinating career whenever that becomes humanly possible for us, probably not in my lifetime. And while Jane is a CPA, which is much more grounded in our reality. And as a lawyer, I feel like I'm obliged to dislike her for her chosen career profession, but I'll overlook that. Um, he's got an offer to go study under this pioneer of his field that discovered everything about this planet, that opened up the philosophy and the wanderings of this people to the world and the universe, and to do so she kind of has to go with him unless they want to be apart for at least like a year or two or i think it's a full year and so essentially she has to turn down her own option to jump on this but quickly finds a viable enough alternative that she can make her own career as a cpa work and so they go off to lura while well, throughout the whole way of getting there we start to find out that apparently a very kind of randomy philosophy of quotes is what people have gotten out of this planet that Apparently, various writings of this now long lost culture have been translated and have been conveyed to the world, and they come across as very much Taoist cones in terms of how they are structured and how they're just seemingly non sequitur little bits of advice on life or just descriptions of life and how life should be lived and,
1: and so we also get a couple of those mm-hmm. sorry bJ we get a couple of those throughout the um, throughout the text that this is sort of one of my first frustrations with this story um, is that we get a couple of these uh, quotations from the philosophy spirituality whatever we are calling it um, out of context in the way that you actually get these in a a lot of stories like this Mm -hmm. Um, I mean we got them in the Broken Earth series Mm -hmm. um, for example but so I just my I guess what all I want to point out is that there were not enough of them that were considered enough for them to make any impression on me at all.
2: So no. if we were to talk about this, this is a bad mystery because we are <laughs> not given enough clues as the reader to puzzle out the mystery that the main characters figure out.
1: Indeed. We might, in fact, be back in Tana French territory.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, some of the style and, and the structure...
1: What
0: was that? I said almost as good a relationship. Oh, yeah,
1: right?
0: I mean, the style and structure of them very much remind me of the Tao Te Ching, one of the foundational texts of Taoism in terms of how they're built and how they're framed. But I agree that if we're meant to deduce in any way advance of where our main character suddenly makes the leap beyond what the cone that she suddenly realizes this is from, it doesn't really pull it off well. That these are not these—they seem like they're set up early on as being purposefully nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Is that this is very much philosophy that has only importance because of where it comes from and what people have now put upon it because of where it comes from? Yeah, yeah and that, which I
1: think is 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 certainly the point as you as you kind of say it, Spencer. It just with no other context for kind of what's going on here, it falls flat.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that like if it was quotes at the beginning of a chapter or something Mm -hmm. like that, like it could play better where it's just like something that you're maybe supposed to pay some attention to. I think, you know, you reference the broken earth trilogy. There's also Mistborn
0: and a couple of others where Mm -hmm. it's very common nowadays to include little bits of philosophy or quotes from a different context at the start of chapters for fantasy sci-fi.
2: Yeah. And so I think it's become more common that, that it's, informational and relevant to the chapter, as opposed to, like, a quote that the author likes and wants to say, like, oh, and this is something that, like, I referenced in this chapter or whatever else, which I feel like 20, 30 years ago was more like a, this was an inspirational quote and has something to do with the chapter as opposed to, like, this is necessary (laughs) for the book and will make more sense once you're done.
1: Yeah, that is certainly a thing that happened in, like, C-Rate literary fiction of the early 90s. I would say better than C-Rate. But okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something BJ-like just fell in that category. <laughs> well, I mean, go- going on through the story. So they decide she decides to join him on this trip rather than be apart, because apparently a year is too much for them. Um, and she pretty quickly finds a viable enough alternative in that the large human settlement that's apparently been set up on this alien world of Laura. has a fast-track program for her to get her CPA degree and probably pretty quickly find a job. And this being a very advanced science fiction setting where it's so much so that it's very much background that's never really explained or understood, they take a jump ship and they are at this other alien world, which is purposely described as being a series of of literally desert ruins that's slowly being encroached upon and overtaken by mankind. Mm Mm-hmm that That there are these towering structures that are described as being like spiral helixes ascending up into the into the sky uh that are almost fluted so that the wind is constantly playing through them with music, or whatever else, which is a, a quite a beautiful image to imagine in terms of how that would and the be the
2: worst thing to live through.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sure it would be great to visit, I can't imagine living there for a year. It'd probably get pretty frustrating. Hence why they, for whenever they, when the first moment they actually go and explore these together, the first thing he hands her is, is uh, earplugs. <laughs> but they pretty quickly get situated and it seems like for most of the story they spend a lot of the time apart. That he's, I guess, out in the field doing his research while she's setting up back at base camp. Where he gets involved in the archaeology of learning under the grandmaster of his field while she quickly realizes that the administration of this colony has gone to shit in a way that they desperately need her help, because this being a semi-religious kind of enterprise, of when everyone's turned the uh, ruins of this culture and what little philosophy has come out into their own personal faith, there are any number of tax dodgers that have come in to set up, and she is well and prepared to help. But, one of the key things going in is this uh, philosophy that has come out of this world, so we pretty quickly learned that this original researcher on like the first excursion or first expedition, however they call it, uh, found this kind of text that on these uh, these kind of metal tablets that were buried under the ground, and that through means that's not originally understood, originally explained, uh, he provided an interpretation and immediately published it to the universe. A to disclose the knowledge to everyone so that everyone could appreciate it, and B probably the real reason to get research funding. <laughs> Uh, which worked it turned apparently a fair segment of human population in dedicating themselves to understanding this culture and apply them to their own including as you said bj assuming that they built all the pyramid structures or anything that is old and kind of stony on earth so i just uh, kind of imagine this dude as the guy
2: on the history channel that has crazy hair and goes aliens um mm-hmm. and also want to comment that this is essentially the opposite of how science research actually works where you do most of the work and then you get funding and then you do the next thing which i think this good i mean this, this
1: really has a feeling of sort of like traditional egyptology right oh very much um, that. the kind of colonizer um mentality around it as well as the sort of appropriation around all of it and we also i mean we get references to the rosetta stone et etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're clearly building on a sort of like very specific tradition of how we discover the past and think about people of the past and
2: um if indiana jones had a boring cpa accountant girlfriend <laughs> that we wanted to have as the main story
0: <laughs> we, we don't know marion's background that might have been her story before she ended up at that bar in nepal and freddy's but not I that re- interesting <laughs> but i agree with your interpretation sarah that this is very much grounded around classic archaeology kind of tropes But even the idea that um, in interpreting these texts, they've kind of just filled in the blanks. Because one of the things we even see with, like, modern study of hieroglyphics, we still don't really get them. Mm -hmm. We've got a primer, we've got a vague series of translation, but a lot of that is just kind of us imposing a degree of interpretation upon it, because otherwise it doesn't make a full degree of sense. Mm -hmm. And so... Several experts in the same field can read the same series of images and have pretty different, you know, interpretations as to what exactly they're translating.
1: Well, the and this, we find out interestingly here, and I don't, I, we will talk about it later, but this is not even a sort of like adding interpretations to it. Although there is some of that as well. It's also a significant amount of excising information that doesn't make sense with the narrative that you right. want to present
0: and putting in information that it would be publicly palpable so as to, in some ways, assist the cultural movement and the source, presumably, of funding that has continued to come in from them publishing this information. Mm-hmm. And so the new texts that they eventually find, or that Freddie finds, offer a new opportunity for that. But as our main character, Jane, sees as she looks through this, they've got maybe about half the words down, and the rest are a kind of a game of Mad Libs that they'll fill in at a later date in a way that sells the most books. Not unlike
2: normal Bible studies. Um, and so like, I also thought it was fascinating and I don't know if you're about to get there Spencer or not, where they talk about how,
0: what we can kind of jump around from here, honestly, because from here on out, there's a few major plot moments, but that, I think we can just kind of present them in any way we want. The major breakthrough is they sort of find
2: a children's classroom and then sort of go through the lessons of the children's classroom. And that's sort of how they decode things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: um right. And, originally right yeah um and and so I sort of think that's a a fascinating way like a, a a really good idea as to how like things could be translated to a foreign species that that would be very that fairly advanced like you know mm-hmm. if people wandered into you know our classrooms they would they they might have a better way of grasping many things that that are germane to us in, in the rest of our culture.
0: Right. And from the uh, kind of children's primer way of using pictographs to connect to words, it would provide a very essential tool to that. Minus the problem of for, if a particular kind of weird sloth-like creature appears there with a word underneath it as they present in this, <laughs> what is that word actually saying about the weird sloth-like creature? Right. Um, is his name just Steve? Or is
2: Steve <laughs> the name of the species? I don't know. I mean if you're looking at a lot of our history, yes, kind of. Um mm-hmm. so I sort of thought this was an entertaining thing to go about it and and also as soon as I like made the bible reference, I also kind of realized that there's a surprisingly large amount of the bible that's just accounting for things and like yeah. oh, how yeah. how how they did counting back then and tithes and taxes and things like that and it's just like a oh, well yeah, I guess there is that comparison.
1: Yeah, weirdly they don't go into those in like the homilies that, that frequently. Yeah. yeah.
0: The Bible is the Bible is an interesting read. Old New Testament too. It's interesting going into the New Testament saying, Okay, I've just started this and the first like nine pages are genealogy, just mm-hmm. recounting the various people that came from other people. When do we get to the meat of this?
2: I mean that's so, true of the Old Testament too, in large part. Uh, no, yeah, no, it's
0: it's it's true of a lot of writing going back to that kind of era and period. And, you know, very go through the various epics back in time. They're not structured like a lot of traditional stories are now. Even even if they are like in, in a big way, the various elements of the hero's journey. There's a lot of what we would mo- now an editor would strike as filler, but it seems to be a part of the of the overall narrative that was appropriate back then. The kind of uh, building in the oral tradition, even when it was written down, to keep people in the knowledge that they were, uh, wanted to keep as part of the culture.
2: It is surprisingly like embedded in memory, like when you do learn those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, shall we get, I mean, we can talk about you know the meeting that she has when she finally gets to meet this uh, towering researcher in this field, and she pretty quickly deduces a few key things about how this research works or doesn't work and he just reveals that, you know, how, this is how we discovered it, yeah, there's a lot of interpretation that goes into play, and as she sees when she's talking with her um, boyfriend Freddie, you see that they fill in a lot of these gaps. But, when Freddie has now come across this new research, these new discovered platinum tablets that have been buried beneath the uh, soil, she makes a de- series of deductions about these that apparently no one has done before because no one had her particular background. No one from a particular background was brought into this research previously. And what is it that she finds, BJ? <sighs> she finds
2: that what they really found is tax code. <laughs> oh. Which
1: she is more excited about than she possibly ever would have been.
2: Pretty about much About actual philosophical else. narrative exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean So the other thing About this like Whole meeting And everything else Is I'm 100% surprised That That her boyfriend's mentor Didn't make a pass at her um, Because I feel like It would just Completely fit within this story um, <laughs>
1: Oh it feels very That era Yeah It,
0: it feel, feels like he was Getting up to it At a certain point Like you know A couple more drinks Needed to occur Before that mm-hmm. moment But it was gonna happen
2: Yeah and just sort of like i guess one of those things um i mean honestly like again with so many other things within this story the he seems to have a very sort of passing knowledge of um sort of all of the things that that presume like platinum is not as quite as malleable as gold but probably wouldn't be surviving for forever um i i I, and, and easily dug up and then and read. Um, not quite like our our gold records on Voyager, but, you know. Well,
1: they did have to put castings into where they had been, right?
0: Yeah. Mo- most of these they find are not necessarily with the original record. They're kind of like, the pr- they assume they were like the printing plates by which other copies were made.
2: Yeah, but again, like, making printing plates at... at there, there are things that he could have done which would have made a lot of sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if they're very advanced, have, you know, electrical storage of some sort and have platinum be, what? you know, useful because it's a very good conductor or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But anyway.
0: Well, unlike, say, like the Krill from Forbidden Planet, his theory for how the modern technology would work is that pretty much any degree of modern technology would not persist. And that his ken lose idea of how the uh record of this hist- of this culture would uh, what, what, what elements of the record of this culture would maintain over a million years are basically just stone age because that's the only materials that would have the ability to endure that long whether that's necessarily true or not is a question we can debate mm-hmm. but it seems to be the one that he's built around there's a certain element of truth to it we see in our own history in terms of what we know about a lot of these ancient cultures is that a lot of what records they would have kept, like, look at the ancient Egyptians, a lot of records they would have kept on papyrus have faded away, and then a lot of their culture we've lost with it. It's only the monoliths that we have remaining, and even those, we only see what images of them are still persist. Like, we see the pyramids now of the rough-cut stone structures, we don't really kind of have the image of them actually plated in marble the way they were at the time. And the same is true in terms of what they describe here, is that they could say several times, we don't really know how advanced this culture was. All we have to go on is what persists and what remains. And After a million years, that isn't much. We're really... A lot of interpretation is going into play from what little evidence we have as to what they were capable of and how they worked. One of the things they oddly do have, though, and I'm amazed that this would actually persist. Well, I guess not too much. We have fossils going off that far, but we do know exactly what they looked like, and it's decidedly non-human. It's kind of a weird arachnid kind of creature, is kind of how I imagine from what they described. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is the interesting moment of debate between these two of when she realizes this and the story seems to presume that she's accurate. This is true. Even Freddie and the researchers seem to think that what she's saying is probably true for her. This is profoundly important. Um. a variety of reasons it means we finally understand them and in some ways it provides an extra connection to them that we weren't getting through all these philosophical layers you were putting upon this yeah the fact that the one record we've got maintained is straight up tax code is profoundly human it is a connection to this culture that we otherwise were putting upon so many different layers of mythos that were just no longer really necessary or really true Whereas for these researchers, they kind of think these are important just because of what everyone else is getting out of them and is put 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 on them. It's no longer about what they actually were. It's about what they represented can mean to everybody.
2: I can't remember the- which museum I was at, but there was a museum that I was at relatively recently where the ancient stone tablets that they had inscribed from a past civilization, and I it, it might have been Egyptian, was basically uh business slash shipping manifests and or like you know business accounts that they had like at at other places and it's just like well this dude still owes me uh (laughs) you know a couple of like things of beer and i you know owe him a couple sheaves of grain and you know things like that and so they do last a surprisingly long time if you carve them into stone
0: have you guys ever actually read what the Rosetta Stone says? I have not, but I am a
2: hundred percent not surprised that you have.
0: <laughs> Sorry, yes. <laughs> Don't lay apologize. it on, a Spencer. <laughs> by, by way of background, the Rosetta Stone is dropped in this. Um, if I remember correctly, it was by Ptolemy V, one of the Ptolemaic kings, that done in the I think it was the one ninety BC, like one ninety six or something. Um, that was a steel that was erected at Memphis, one of the major temple cities in Egypt. And what makes it incredibly important is that, while A, Napoleon stole it, which is always funny to me, and brought it back when he invaded Egypt as part of the late late French Revolutionary Wars before the Napoleonic Wars started. And what's useful about it is that it includes three separate languages on it. Two that we weren't really good on, uh, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics and also a different Egyptian written language, and also Greek, which we did know. And because these three were all included together, we finally were given a gateway into these written Egyptian languages that otherwise we never really had a chance to get. Now, we still try to interpret what exactly the Rosetta Stone says, because this is a bit of art, not necessarily science going into wielding hieroglyphics, but from what we're pretty sure about, it's talking about a lot of taxes. (laughs) There's a lot of discussion, it's basically a fun mix of, I am awesome, I have done all of these incredible things, I am literally ordained by God, And also, these guys are in tax arrears and they need to pay their taxes. Uh, big festival coming up, everyone bring your food. Also, I just conquered this an incredible battle. It's this really weird, like, message-posting board for this guy to just market himself as, you know, the king of the Ptolemaic Kingdom. But, here's all the things that are great, and also here's some little government notices, most of which are tax-related. So, them finding a tax tablet as being the one preserved thing is seemingly a pretty direct reference to yeah that's a lot of what we find because those are the things that were p- being purposely written in stone to persist for long periods of where you'd put this up so everyone walking by could see it and you wouldn't have to replace it every na- every now and then like if you had parchment or papyrus as the uh, base for
1: this is also the way that moby dick was written what it, it,
0: it was <laughs> just what?
1: pages and pages of sailing oh yeah, yeah and yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, Moby Dick's a wonderful read, but by the end of it, you are ready to go on a whaling ship. Mm -hmm. You have learned all you need to know. You have gone through Ishmael's education to an exceptionally extreme degree.
1: Yeah, and so this idea of these kind of documents that are left behind, or in the case of Moby Dick, this sort of novel that is dealing with the sort of, like, actual lived experience and knowledge of what was important to a people at a time, right? Um... I think that that is all very valid and the, the understanding that, or the, the kind of understanding that Jane brings to the situation that like, actually tax codes are much more informative about how people live than Mm. vague philosophies are is like all a completely valid point. It is narratively bankrupt as a reveal for this story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like that's the reveal. It's, yeah, it it's a really weird kind of reveal. Um, as you pointed out, BJ, it, it doesn't feel that well set up, other than they've indicated the philosophy and that she's a CPA on the very first page. Mm-hmm. It's just we haven't been given much of a reason to ever link those two together up until that last cone that he comes across, which is, yeah, that is the only reasonable interpretation of what that is from what she's reading. That's obvious number uh, depreciation at work. Yeah, so, it feels I... like a bit of a surprise that hasn't been very well set up going into it.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel feel like some of the other ones, like, if you mutate them a little bit and assume that, like, it's a poor translation
0: and stuff like that. But. Which, which she does after she realizes this about this one. She goes back to a lot of the old ones again, and suddenly they all apply to taxes. Yeah.
2: I just sort of wonder if he was watching a bunch of M. Night Shyamalan movies.
0: <laughs> the later ones?
2: Sure, yeah. Um,. I, I I would say that quite a number of them have mm, twists, um, and it was just like, oh, it was tax code the whole time.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think it leads to a fun discussion about what value, well, again, how we choose to interpret things we learn about other cultures being more a statement about us than about them, and what value it actually is to learn about the mundaneness of the universe and how much that can really link us all together. I think that's an interesting thing to discuss in terms of value, but eh, the execution here is not necessarily too inspiring.
2: But I guess it was a fairly light read, and it was perfectly entertaining for what it was, I guess. Um, And I I probably spent less time reading it than we've spent discussing it so far, which is not uncommon for the short stories that we read. mm -hmm. Um, That was tradition.
0: And again, I do do like the actual... I like that it's basically, I want to talk about Egyptian, I want to talk about Egyptian ar- uh, archaeology, I want to talk about very much the modern sciences in some ways in terms of how these histories are, uh, choose to be interpreted by people, but I'm going to do it in a science fiction setting for, actually, there's a question, why did he do this in a science fiction setting? Was just because that's a way you can talk about present things without having any degree of implication put upon them? That, is it just that old trope again? Because the fact that it's a, the fact that it is an alien race doesn't necessarily add much to this.
2: Yeah.
1: No, but I think it does subtract or at least mitigate some of the stickier comparison, like stickier direct comparisons to history that you would get, right? Because right. what what the museum that they go to near the beginning of the story where it becomes clear that the science around the race of creatures that that were living here are like has has progressed far beyond what is actually being represented as these creatures, right? Mm-hmm. There's some discussion mm-hmm. about like, and I've forgotten which way which way it goes at this point, but like they have an exoskeleton, <laughs> and they. Do, I was clearly paying a lot of attention to this point. Mm-hmm. I was already annoyed, but that that moment where this museum that is set up in a tourist area that is around a sort of essentially pilgrimage site. That Mm -hmm. is based on a very particular narrative. If you were to do anything like that on Earth, what that is set on Earth, what that feels like to me is the plantation museums that continue to sort of present particular narratives um, willfully, right? And there are other examples of what that might be, but in the moment, like, that's what that reminds me of. And I guess... Setting it in a different place it takes away... Setting it in a, in a science fictional universe sort of takes away some of that baggage. Yeah, yeah
0: I it's guess... This, it, it's the reason so much science fiction does that in terms of offering commentary on kind of present cultural tropes. Is that you can do it without as directly having people come in with their own assumptions and their own... <laughs> a willingness to be offended. You can, mm-hmm. can you can you can basically convince them to your philosophical point before you realize, before they realize necessarily what you've done.
2: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of so some place that essentially did the opposite where Futurama and the Martians basically being Native Americans and just like throwing that in your face, like they sort of went the very opposite way. Um with with this trope, uh but but yeah, this this really is kind of what I was reminded of in some ways, like, you know, if there was like a casino there or, uh, -hmm. you know, some stands purveying, uh, you know, uh, sarcophagi on, on a stick that tastes like teriyaki or something. Um, (laughs) that, that would have just totally fit with like my concept of what, what actually was there.
0: Right. It it does tie into a lot of old jokes that my dad and I've often had before about what, if, you know, our culture was suddenly lost and the alien archaeologists came across it, would they, like us, assume everything is intensely religious? Like, if they go to, like, in Charlotte, if they go to Panther Stadium and they walk up the front and they see these giant panther statues that lead into this monolithic structure, are they going to assume that those were gods and you're walking into some kind of sacrifice pit the same way we do whenever we find an ancient ruin?
2: I mean, would they be really wrong?
0: Uh, it's a different kind of worship than they may necessarily be assuming, but, you know, it's a fair point.
1: Sunday service, Spencer.
0: Oh, Yeah. Man, yeah,
2: that yes. (laughs) But so help you if you are on your knees. Um, So, (laughs) oh man. How I mean, that was legitimately funny. (laughs) 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 It's like just taking a moment. No, that's just really funny right now. Um, so, uh, you uh, you know, we sort of discussed this beforehand, but um, why do you think
0: Ken Liu likes this story?
1: I have no earthly idea
0: um maybe some aspect of his background his education
1: yeah i mean i guess i
0: wonder if he has like
2: a personal connection of some sort with this story um Mm -hmm. and it has some like overall other meaning to it but i mean for me i'm trying to differentiate this from any other sci-fi pulp that I would never look back again at. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, again, we discuss this a little bit with N.K. Jameson. Um, I think that it sort of enters the discussion with some of, um, Okorofor's short stories. Um, I think that there are a lot of well-respected authors that have done very interesting things that have stories that go into, uh, sci-fi and fantasy and magazines where they get paid some money sometimes by the word um and it's it's a way of making a living Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and If, if, if i want to try to force an interpretation upon this i can i mean i can try to say that again this the structure of a lot of these little cones does remind me of certain aspects of confucianism zen or taoism and there's a lot of tendency among the western industry to take a lot of these little bits of philosophical um these little philosophical writings to prepackage them entirely remove them from their context and offer them as just little bits of quirky wisdom that completely lose the actual cultural setting completely loses what the actual original purpose of them was as just part of you know marketing a product kind of similar to what we see with the culture done here so throw them
1: over a white girl on an Instagram post and you will have yourself an influencer
0: yeah and so there could be an element of going into that to a certain degree mm-hmm. um, and because that, he
1: is a very big
2: proponent and sort of the golden child of eastern fantasy mm-hmm. being entered into mm-hmm. the consciousness along with a couple of other authors but he he really i think is sort of held up as the gold standard so maybe this is kind of poking fun at it mm-hmm.
1: yeah that that might be an that might be an interesting kind of interpretation for why this is personally
2: <clears throat> important to him
1: important to him what what i really struggle with with it is well, I mean it's it's several things. It doesn't really have much of a plot. Um, which is not normally a problem for me. I was about to ask. Sarah, like every we've every had, no, I have a point. I have a place is going, for this. and
2: every time we've ever talked about a story with plot, and you're just like, eh, I
0: don't really remember. That's fine.
1: No, well, but we've had,
0: we've had like three weeks of no plot at all in our stories. We've been reading. So
1: the reason that the reason that the plot the lack of plot is really annoying to me in this particular story is that I don't think like it's a not particularly well constructed as we have talked about before, which goes into this lack of a plot in, in several, in, in a variety of ways, but specifically for me, who does not particularly care about plot because I am fine. If a story is, gives me some sort of, um, effective images or beautiful language or something like that. Now, we all know that Ken Liu does that. Yes, and this doesn't have it. Yeah, like the writing is not good in this story.
2: Yep, and it, it's sort of like stories have to have like it. It's the best when they have like all of the great ingredients, but mm-hmm. they have to have some.
1: They and... have to have at least one of them. Yeah, yeah, and I feel
2: like this. This was you know, there's nothing really to hang your hat on, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. they're sort of all okay enough that if we didn't have to talk about I it would have been an unremarkable story
1: yes we could have read it and sort of forgot about it and moved on that happened yes
0: it's interesting with us uh, now having explored various works by the same author uh including their seminal work and then also some 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 things in their more of their back album but it was like fun with jameson of when we read broken earth and then we read a lot of her really pulpy sci-fi that had connections to that in terms of her style but it was so clearly much earlier in her career. Mm-hmm. With this one, it's interesting to read. I mean, we, we've all now read Paper Menagerie, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to read that. And it's very well written. It's very evocative. It channels some incredible imagery and some really interesting cultural questions in it. And then there's to read this, of where I can impose some connections between those two. But they do feel very far removed to the point that if you just put these two in front of me, I would not be able necessarily to determine they're by the same author. Without yeah. you know, presumably if you like cut off the first page, but just told me that.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of like um, the sort of trope that really good chefs like uh, fast food.
1: Yeah. Right. Hmm. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, it it feels like this story could have used a good editor. Yeah. To stop um, it from from going being out what it, the it world.
0: was. <laughs> well, here, here's always a fun question: if is there a, is there a single thing he could have done to make this work better for you, or is there two? Is, is, would it be, would it have needed a full rewrite?
2: I think if he had a lot more of the quotes, it could mm-hmm. have been a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they sort of made a lot more sense, <laughs> I, I, I think that coupled with a character that I cared about. I mean, because I like yeah. it's it's. I'm struggling to even care about Jane.
1: I I or, mean she's a flat character. Like what is there Yeah. What is there to care about?
2: So really. Right.
1: And and like I
2: feel like there could have been like I, I don't I don't know what it is, but like I but first of all I I really do feel like if there was um honestly maybe just some artwork I think artwork could have, and a little bit... (laughs) My
0: complaint about lack of pictures is
2: proving true. Yeah, I mean, but like maybe a little bit more in terms of the text. And so, Mm -hmm. like, and some good artwork that just sort of shows a little bit of the... uh, The towers, for example? The towers, some of the tablets, and sort of like the fuzziness Mm -hmm. of the tablets and things like that. And so you just get a, a better feel of the, the world that he's vaguely creating in broad brushstrokes, that nothing quite feels three-dimensional. And I think that the easiest thing to make feel three-dimensional is the world that we're in, because, because there's a lot of writing that would need to go into a three-dimensional plot or three-dimensional characters.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I think that it is probably clear that my answer to your question, Spencer, is I think it needs a full rewrite, um, and possibly BJ, a different conception behind it to begin with. Um, BJ, got th- BJ got there too, but it just took him longer. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start there. But I am going to start there to kind of get to exactly where you were getting uh, BJ, which is that the, the f- my fundamental problem with this, which I think is where all of my criticisms are getting to, is that this I don't have any sense of the world at all. And he describes some things at some point and like you get the landscape and the towers and all of that, but none of it feels, it doesn't have any weight. It doesn't have any heft. Um, and it doesn't have any impact on me in the way that, you know, even something like we were not necessarily crazy about, uh, Jemison's cuisine de memoir, mm-hmm. but I felt like I knew what that world was and that there were details and fleshed out moments that at least I could I could grab onto and kind of inhabit for a while. Yeah. But this feels alien and not in a purposefully alien way, right? We, we, I think we, you could make this landscape purposefully alien and do exactly the work that you needed to do to get somewhere.
0: It, it's one of the things we I think with, with, commented on with cuisine memoir is that Whatever it was, it knew what it wanted to be and set out in just that direction. Mm-hmm. That it had a very much mm-hmm. of a focus built around it. The story was very much, it was well structured around the point and focus it wanted to have. BJ, like you pointed out with this one is that I don't know this works as very well as a short story. That there's so many things that this seemingly would have to be added in to work under its current structure that it were going into a novella in terms of what extra material would necessarily so make it three dimensional. Mm-hmm. Or, Sarah, with your point, For it to work as a short story, it would kind of need to be completely thrown out with very different focus attached to it because this kind of very sparse narrative without a clear overarching philosophical point or something else interesting that wants to ground itself around just doesn't really grab you that much. It's a comic book without the pictures. That's a fun way to put it, yeah. And about as
2: disappointing. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I I think that... You know, one of, one of the other stories that I, we, and I poo-pooed a bunch and I feel like I, I should make a comparison and say that it was much more enjoyable and much more, much better thought out is Binti. Yeah, I was
1: going to ask you about that, BJ, because you didn't like it for a lot of the same reasons we're discussing here, but did that have a different flavor for you?
2: It had a much different flavor. I, I guess it's my problem with Binti was. It could have been great. Mm-hmm. And I, with, with a, some work, I think it could have been great. And I think with a lot of work, this could be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the problems I kept running into with Benti was that I it just, it, I was consciously aware of how much it would resonate well with its intended audience, and it just wasn't me. That I, we, we, read through, I was one of the first time we read through Amazon reviews. We kept on reading how many people said this was such a wonderful introduction to the genre. I had no idea what science fiction could mean to me. And I was just thinking going, well, this is really kind of tropey and all kinds of various themes I've read a dozen times and kind of written better. But,
1: but yeah, who would the intended audience for? The short story be
0: I mean, yeah, that's the kind of thing i'm struggling with right now it seems Is to that...
1: only be ken Liu who really yeah. likes this story <laughs> and i'm
0: glad he enjoyed it yes <laughs> i want to read that five-star review from ken Liu about his own story because we heard sarah <laughs> give a one-star review on her own opinion of it i w- actually actually it would be fun i would love to know what this story means to ken Liu and why it's one of his favorites
2: yeah, I'd be very happy to to be able to um, ask him about that. But unfortunately, I don't think that we are going to get the chance. But I could try emailing him on the off chance. And 100%, if he does an AMA on Ask Reddit, I will ask him. Because um, I did sort of get the chance to do that with one of our... Well, not ask them a question, but just say thank you um, to one of our previous uh, writers. And, and I was thoroughly amused that she did respond. So... Um, well,
0: th- I have an inevitable then I think maybe closing question. As It seems like we're wrapping up. Um, We've read a varying array of material on this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this one I'm hearing from you guys so far, the least favorite thing you've read? I have a feeling that Sarah might
2: have disliked melancholy elephants more.
1: I I did indeed. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) Forgot forgot about melancholy elephants, actually. Um, It wasn't very memorable for you. Um, what about I, you, BJ? I don't. It's tough because, um, in the discussion of it, like this was probably my least favorite. Um, in the. Before we discussed it, I would say Binty was probably my least favorite because there were so many things that I was angry about
0: mm-hmm.
2: before we started talking. And this one
0: was Milk Toast. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing about this one offends me really necessarily. It's just bland. It you know it's there. I'm kind of enjoyed the, some of the history references and don't get much out of it. Whereas Benty, I think maybe just because it was so much longer, got to be quite a slug for me to go through. So yeah, I think, I think I I don't think I would put this at my bottom.
2: Yeah, Even I th- it, I was gonna say this would definitely be at my bottom, but I I think the the reason that 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 sort of going into it, Benty would have been at my bottom was. Because I was so angry that it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I saw the potential there that it could have been like one of you know, maybe not the best short story that we've read, but one of them. And it and just I wasn't. Think
1: I would much rather read something that is aggressively bad.
2: So we'll do a reprisal of Guards Guards for you. <laughs>
1: oh this is all i've ever wanted i've been waiting for someone to suggest this for 30 episodes or however long i've been on this show
0: um <laughs> i i will reread that happily we'll, we'll get if, we'll get lee if, to do another 30 pages no he's reading the whole damn thing this time
1: <laughs> you try get enforcing that book. spencer
2: um But, but yeah, I guess like, and that's sort of like the weird part of, of how I view things where, I mean, I I think this is sort of a general part of, of my life. And, and if it could have been great, I judge it much more harshly than something that Mm -hmm. was completely mediocre to bad and like had, had sort of no, no inkling at greatness.
1: I think... That's, that's a really fascinating point and really, I think is very you, BJ. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Um, on brand. (laughs) Hashtag on brand. Yes. Um, and I think one of the reasons hearing you say that triggers in me, I think one of the reasons I was, I have had such a negative reaction to this particular story is that I am, as I mentioned before on the show, I am, I am recently out of a, an English program where you often read things that you don't like or connect with or um, that don't resonate with you in whatever way. It could be any, any number of ways, really. Um, but you have to do it because you're in the class or you're writing the paper or whatever it is. I have just now recently gotten, as you know, BJ, because I'm starting to notice plot more, <laughs> um, started to be able to read for just pure entertainment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the idea that I spent the even limited amount of time that it took to read the story and got no entertainment value from it at all is really yeah. annoying to me. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: I, that, that makes sense. Um, and I, I guess it just sort of fascinates me and, and like, I, I get it because we, we, like the program that you were in and how much time things would have taken and, and how much you would have had to read, read. Um, or have read uh that i wonder if spencer you had more of an experience like i did or more of an experience like sarah did but the reading that i have to do and i do a lot in some ways is a lot more skimming because the prose of scientists leaves a lot to be <laughs> desired um and i will wholly and wholeheartedly include myself in there um But a lot of what what you read in terms of scientific articles is some vague words, um, a bunch of numbers, and and sometimes some people have interesting things to say, but you mostly look at pictures. Um, And so even the, the large amounts of reading that I essentially have to do, to me, is very divorced from the fun reading that I do. Mm -hmm. And so even learning how to read and dissect the things that I have to do for work and the training that I've done were always very separate for me.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Um, Where Spencer, I have no idea where you land on this because I know you like reading almanacs and things of that nature and I can't imagine that like some legal code is too different from that.
0: I mean, there is a love of just-wrote trivia that goes into me in a way I don't think either of you do as much.
2: Oh, I love trivia. The, I, I think the the thing that, that will entertain you so much is that I'm often very useless in trivia for the actual question, but I can tell them other things that don't help people with the answer. And so... Um, <laughs> like so so there's a specific (laughs) example that i have that that i think is thoroughly funny and i'll probably talk about others on whiskey on the weekend where there's a specific question about uh, a u.s act essentially establishing i think land grant schools or something like that and it was named after a specific feature of university of illinois and so when we were trying to come up with the trivia answer i told them about a bunch of the history of university of illinois what these plots were used for and 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 all this other information and they looked at me and they're like so do you know the answer i said no but i know a lot of trivia that isn't very helpful at trivia um anyway spencer so so you do have a love of trivia and that relates to uh legal reading
0: it does relate to legal reading. It also relates to the various poles of my mind when it comes to pleasure reading, of where I have an even mix of, kind of similar to me like eating the same cereal every day for five years, of where I don't mind the rote. I don't mind, I don't mind non-fiction, I don't mind histories, I don't mind reading through material that isn't necessarily unique, it's just purely informative. I don't mind that. But at the same time there's a need for a certain degree of spice of where stories that are just utterly uninspired Stories that don't offer <laughs> anything unique, that or just they don't have ever even have that just moment that just gives me a, a feeling of I've accomplished something by going through this, or I've learned something from doing this, or this in some way offers something to me that otherwise I wouldn't have had in my normal day-to-day life. You didn't get that, that
2: dopamine hit.
0: Yes, and it is kind of a dopamine hit that it can either happen just over the course of a story or even a, even a single moment of value that there 's just so little spare time in the day to just go through tedium of stories mm-hmm. to not have that kind of moment to not have that kind of value that I get really choosy when it comes to even just pleasure reading that I will spend more time vetting what i 'm going to read than reading the te- actually actually sitting down and reading it <laughs> just because I feel I feel like that you're this the, is my the time Netflix to read
2: browser of. Book readers. <laughs> There's definitely an
0: element of that, and so it can make it very frustrating to okay, this is the story I'm going to read, and then getting through it and going, well, that was a fucking waste of my time. Didn't think this one is in any way quite that level that I'm hearing from you guys, but I did overall find it disappointing, particularly when I just saw the author. I was just really curious what it was going to be with him, and this didn't scratch the itch I was expecting.
2: Yep. Um, so hopefully, maybe, because I haven't read it, we'll do another... Story from this author, and hopefully it'll be a little bit less disappointing because we have a couple of short stories to choose from that have won quite a number of awards. So <laughs> maybe um, we can assuage that uh, itch.
0: Well, I, I think we've ranted about the story enough, unless you guys have anything else to add. I At think least it didn't
2: have it weird <laughs> names of dragons.
0: Weird name? Errol is not a weird name for a dragon. What are you talking about?
1: neither is norbert
0: norbert is a perfectly lovely name for a dragon i'm I'm looking forward to more british dragon names as we go through as we
2: continue (laughs) the series if i imagine dragons more like pugs then then i guess it does make more sense all right.
0: Well, BJ, if they want to listen to any more any more of our material or find out what they should listen to for next week, where can they go for that? Um,
2: they should go to MangumTalks.com. Um, we post all of our content. There's loads of entertaining things. Um, we have our podcast within a podcast, uh, Pottering Around. Um, there is Succession, where Spencer and Lee get really drunk and talk about um, dysfunctional people. Um, There is Whiskey on the Weekends, where we drink and try and be more functional people, um, as well as some other random podcasts about humor, basketball, and possibly other things that are updated on um, a somewhat infrequent basis. And if you have any questions, comments, or other things like that, you can click Contact Us at the upper right hand corner of our website. um, And I read all of those comments, which are mostly spam about Amoxicillin, so I would thoroughly appreciate other comments because um, I don't need
0: antibiotics. I'm glad you're in good health, BJ. But until next week, everybody, we're looking forward to your reading all along with us, and I'm looking forward to talking with you all about it.
2: Happy Night yes.
1: Bye, y'all.